Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. Uh, welcome to the Sense uh, and Signal podcast. I'm Dan Tarker, and one of the one of the co-hosts, and we are also here with uh, Joda Jensen, the other co-host. And um, this is going to be a podcast around focusing on leadership, uh, organizational leadership, and sense making, and all the different topics that intersect with that theme. And so it's kind of broad. Um, but you know, as we go through this process of developing this podcast and, uh, we're going to be exploring these topics and how to best tackle them. And so we definitely welcome your feedback in the comments section on whatever platform you are watching this on, whether it's on YouTube or anchor or Spotify, uh, we welcome your feedback so that we can continue improving um, this, uh, this podcast. And so today we decided, um, to tackle, uh, a kind of a provocative issue, the, the issue of uh, mass gun violence in the United States and how that, how that impacts organizational leadership, uh, and how we should approach organizational leadership and crisis management. Uh, my doctorate is, um, in higher education leadership. And my dissertation was specifically on crisis leadership uh, in a college or higher education setting. Uh, and as we know, with uh, the proliferation of mass shootings in schools, including colleges, um, you know, this is an issue that we're all wrestling with. There's currently legislation that's finally going, th making its way through Congress uh, to address gun violence uh, through legislation. Um, but there's, there's, there's multiple dynamics to having this conversation. One is the larger societal policy issue around what's causing gun violence, the easy access uh, to weapons uh, being potentially a factor, mental health issues being another factor, so uh, the breakdown of societal bonds, uh, all these different things, um, socioeconomic issues, all, all kinds of different things could be impacting uh, this uptick uh, in mass gun violence. So there's this larger societal issue. And then there is the, the aspect of, as an organizational leader, how do you, um, how do you want to approach thinking about gun violence, uh, you know, within your organization or the potential for uh, a mass shooting event to take place at your within your organization. And I think coming from a higher ed perspective, this is something that we have to grapple with because it's a reality. It's happened. Um, one of the thing, one of the aspects that inspired my dissertation was um, um, meeting the president, uh, the former president of Umpqua Community College in Oregon. Um, and Umpqua is a college that about two, four years ago, I believe, maybe four or five year, years ago, I experienced a really horrific mass shooting event where the uh, a student came in. They were taking the class. They barricaded themselves in the class with a teacher and a number of students, and proceeded to execute them. Um, you know, in that classroom, and it was a you know truly horrific event. And we we have you know it's sad because we have so many similar stories, um, whether it's in kindergarten and first grade uh, to high school to college settings. Um, and so, you know, from a crisis management point of view and an organizational leadership point of view, I think uh, the real, the you know, 
there's a limit to how much you as an organizational leader can impact the larger policy issues. I mean, and I guess as we were talking, Joda, that might be a topic for a different episode of this podcast. You know, as an organizational leader, where do you where do you step up uh, in terms of advocating for certain larger societal policies? Uh, clearly, there's a place for that, but how does that happen? Um, the other aspect to it is just preparedness on the college campus or within the organization, because uh, gun violence can happen not just in educational settings. It's We've seen it on the streets of Las Vegas. We've seen it uh, in workplaces, too. So um, there's a reason uh, uh, going postal was a, a, a term back in the 80s and 90s, you know, that people snapping and just losing their minds and going and, and, and on a killing spree within their, uh, the organization they work. So I, I would come from the perspective at this point that this is just a reality that we're living with. Uh, there's nothing happening policy-wise yet that is signaling to me that anything's going to change anytime soon. So as an organizational leader, what you have to do is prepare for these type of events, as horrific as that sound. And I think that is basic crisis management. Um, you know, I think any organizational leader has to wear the crisis management lens and really crisis management uh, leadership is really a, needs to be focused on preparation, making sure that you have the things in place so that your team, the people within your organization are ready to respond should a certain type of emergency like a mass shooting event uh, emerge. So I guess that's how I would start the conversation, Joda. So we're not going to talk about puppies. I, I, okay. I, this, <laughs> I, I'd rather talk I, about puppies. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's interesting. It's, it, this is a, a space that I, my, I, I, typically just kind of don't delve into, you know, because it's, um, it, it feels very, uh, it feels largely out of control for me, out of my, out of my ability to control my control the surroundings. Um, it becomes sort of a, a Bayesian mental process for me. You know, I, 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 I rationalize sort of, what are the possibilities of something happening to me in, in, in particular um, in relationship to these mass shootings, you know? And for me, it's, it's as, as horrific as, as, as horrific as these are, as, 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 I mean, they're so dramatic, right. And they're terrible. They're, they're, they're epically scary. Um, but they're so small in, let's just say the counts of actual gun violence. Uh, I was just reading that they reflect less than 1%. And I'm assuming if they say less than, that means almost 1%. I don't know. Or could it be closer to zero? I don't know. But they're small, reflective of the entire gun violence world. Um, even with all that horror against me, it's, it's, it doesn't affect, I, I, I calculate that it's not likely to happen. Yeah. No, is that, is that wrong way of thinking? No, you know? I, th I think and that's actually, I think it's a healthy way of thinking to a degree, right? Because uh, statistically, we know that it's, odds are it'll never, it'll never happen to you in your organization. Even if you work in a high school, even if you work in an elementary school or a college, 
statistically, it's probably that you'll never be impacted by it. But what we're dealing with are outlier events, right? And I think there's two ways to also address this is one is every time one of these incidents emerge, emerges and happens, it raises the, the salience level of these type of events among staff, right? People become more scared, more uh, uh, concerned about this type of event uh, happening again at their place of employment. I think as an organizational leader, you have to be sensitive to that perception, even though you might understand that statistically it's unlike, very highly unlikely for that to ever happen at your place of, you know, your, within your organization, you still have to be attentive to people's fears. But at this end, and at the same time, there is still, you know, as slight a probability as it might be that you still have to prepare for it. Do you, right? Just because, and, and I'm not going to say you don't. Um, I think you could be accused of negligence are, if you schools don't. Schools are different, right? I mean, like, your children are, are, are your children are, are your are your gems, your tools, um, and you will probably um, perform some outsized spending to protect them, right? Um, what beyond what would be, let's just say, from a, from a risk reward perspective, is probably would be qualified as probably more than you normally would, but or you would normally have to. But it's your child. And you're going to go above and beyond. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that there. So you've got your school organizations that reflect children and younger people in that space. Then you've got your organizations such as your workplaces or higher ed, where you got adults. Um, I think you mentioned the higher ed one. Wasn't there the higher ed one down in Oregon? If I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Um, and so you, so we think perhaps think of those things as maybe perhaps slightly different um, just because they're not children. Right. They're they're kids. They're not kids anymore. And, and so when you say you must contend with it, there's a cost and reward thing. How much money are you willing to spend? How much how much uh, what value are you getting if the odds of someone coming into your workplace um, to shoot up your workplace is a million to one? And you spend two million, three million dollars to protect that million to one scenario. Is that worth it? Again, I am not saying yes or no. Those numbers I just came up were completely made up. It yeah, and I don't think it's that, that expensive. It could, it could be that higher. It could be lower. I don't know. You think so? I'm, I'm just. I think the we we very often quickly in. Well, what would you do scenario? in the scenario? Well, I'm going to put this on you. Well, here, here, two things first, right? Sure. One, I, th I get the cost versus versus reward um, uh, dimension you're talking about. I, in having helped organize these types of trainings in the past, they're they're very they don't cost hardly anything, right? And so the the, the you know it's not like you have to invest a lot of of money to to do basic preparation and to it also you know when you go through exercises like um uh workplace shooting exercises where you're kind of training your staff about how to respond it might show you things in the environment that you did not you're not aware of that could be a safety issue should other types of emergency situations happen i'll give you a very concrete example at my workplace when we went through an exercise a few years ago we realized like a lot of the doors to the 
these kind of study rooms that that we were having people barricade themselves in. The lock was on the outside of the door, so people couldn't lock themselves inside. So we had facilities go in and switch the lock, so you could lock lock yourself in in the room. Um, and so that that showed a a, a gap in or. Yeah, showed us something that we needed to improve on, you know, within our just our facilities, right? So it brings stuff like that to light. So there, there is the cost aspect, but I would say the cost often with these type of types of things is very minimal. You know, you can uh, have the police come in if you have a security department. Like I know at my college, our head of security will often do these trainings. You just have to ask um, and encourage them to do it. And there's curriculum. Um, for it, it's and, you know, and standardized Homeland Security has developed you know some policies and videos and things that you can share with people that give very practical advice on what to do if you are encounter a workplace shooting event. So I'm going to throw this at you, Joda. What would you do? Like you're at work, you're in your um, your cubicle, or you're in your office. You hear what you perceive are gunshots. Um, what do you do? <laughs> I honestly, I wouldn't know, you know, but that's, <laughs> and that's the point. You <laughs> wouldn't to, know what to do. So I, like, yeah. So again, I'm, I'm not saying that one shouldn't be prepared for something at the time. What like, would you do if you heard a siren for a tornado in your, they don't happen, but what if you heard it, you know, uh, well, I think, I think all of these are interrelated, right? Like growing up in the South, I grew up in Alabama uh, for many years in Tornado Alley, right? So we did have to go through those tornado drills, you know, duck under the uh, desk. Um, you did. You and, did. No, I understand. So my point being is, but we didn't have to go through those tornadoes things in California. You did you have earthquake Although, drills? But we could have, but we do have tornadoes in California, just not as many. Right. Yeah, but so you had again, earthquakes. Sure, we had a lot more of those. Those could actually take out houses. No, I think we're talking two different things here. Okay. Again, I'm talking about risk versus reward. You don't have tornado drills in California because the reward isn't there for the or the risk isn't there for the reward. Right. right? You just, you don't do that. We do there. We do assess at California that you have earthquakes. So you will have earthquake drills, right? And at one point in time, we assessed that the risk of a nuclear war was significant enough that we should give our kids uh, the ability to pretend they're gonna be able to survive it. Uh, but we don't do that anymore. That stopped, we don't do that anymore. But yet one can argue, some have argued that we're at a higher risk of nuclear issues now than we've ever been. So, and again, that's, that's, a, that's a policy thing. So, Again, I, from my vantage point, organizations need to under, need to really calculate what the value and the risk, and also assert or understand the the relationship of the the danger with the psychology of their people. Because to your point, maybe just simply doing it is enough to actually make your uh, your the workers, the employees. Uh, uh, feel safer because you've done it, making them be able to come into an office uh, with a sense of security. Yeah. That might be value unto itself, even though it might never, ever mitigate or a, a, an attack, right? Because attack just never happens. But at least from a from a social programming perspective, people feel safer now because they, like you said, and now I kind of now know what to do. I go to exit two. There's a locked door. Okay. I know it's not likely to happen, but at, 
minor effort for me to kind of get some information to know if if something, God forbid, were to happen. So, like I said, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one should. Yeah. And to respond to that, I think you're right in that. I think it shows a level of care from the organization, right? That we care about you as employees. And I think that having a framework of thinking about it in terms of this might be a situation one of our employees encounters at the workplace or out in the broader world, because these events happen all over the place. And so by preparing them for how, because the, the principles are the same, are all the same uh, wherever you're at, whether you're at the workplace or at the mall or at a nursing home or, you know, wherever uh, an event like this might emerge, I just can't imagine it ever happening in a, a nursing home, we, but maybe that's well, next, you know, we assume, we assume. Um, but you know, the, you know, and just for listeners, I think I feel like I should, you know, obviously the first step is to run. That's always the first action is to run and avoid um, the uh, the situation. And if you can't escape, run and get out of that situation and let the police go in and handle it. If that, if you're unable to do that, the second thing you're supposed to do is barricade and hide and barricade yourself, if at all possible. Um, and then third is to fight you know, uh, and uh, confront the the attacker. That's the third. That's if you can't run, if you absolutely cannot run and you cannot hide and barricade yourself, then you have to take on the attacker. It's, it's um, the exact same uh, protocol for, I think, uh, being uh, being attacked by a, a brown bear, I think. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, well, I mean, same. maybe. I mean, a lot of these things, I, I have no idea. I've, I've never studied wild animal attacks. I think it's something <laughs> similar like that. If I think that the decisions that we have, if we're going to bring down the distinctions of what an organization is going to have to think about, it's one, whether they think they need to address it at all, right? Is yeah. there something for them to address, period? And it's probably not the and, same thing for org, all organizations, no, right? No, I, mean, it's I, just get it. I work in all... higher ed, and higher ed, you have to address it. You have to be prepared. You all, you have to, for each organization, ask that question. Is it something that we need to address, right? And, and, and to what degree, right? Or no, is it yes or no? It's a yes or no answer. Do we address it or not? Um, and the second thing is, if you say yes, then to what degree? What is it you need to address it with? How do you need to, hey, school, some schools today are talking about, you know, certain people say there should be, every school should have be like seriously armed. Right. That's not a cheap that's not a cheap mitigation thing there, Dan. That would be fairly expensive. And I think that's a that. different, a whole different approach than what <laughs> I But we're talking. Yeah. yeah, you we're just talking about the breadth of what organizations need to take into consideration for their decision making processes. So there are many ways to approach this thing. Right. I'm not I'm not making any calculation on my end. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not as to what the solution is because I don't have a solution myself. Um, but what I do think is that each organization needs to try to break this problem down. And the first one is, is do you need to even address it? And second, how do you address it and to what degree, right? Then you can start figuring out how you can plan and strategize and the, and the costs of that, of that address of that addressing. Um, but I think to your point, one of the key factors in that addressing is that do your, employees do the people that work for this organization are they particularly affected by by the mass shooting thing i could say schools probably are oh, yeah, for sure. are at this point in time 
right? Especially grade schools, especially, I mean, it's, it's the, it's a horror to even have to say this, you know, <laughs> I mean, high schools, uh, middle schools, that, that's on the minds of teachers now. I don't, I, I haven't met one teacher who doesn't, that doesn't oh, for sure. earn them. You probably have to absolutely address it and probably address it a little higher than let's say working at Intel, where I don't think uh -huh. Intel's even had an incident. Either. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Dan. It sounds like you've got an opinion. I don't. I, I think that well, I, I, just, I think it's informed by just my research, you know, uh, on crisis management and crisis leadership. I think, you know, getting back to the you know, kind of core focus of this podcast, right, is about sense making and um, sense making and uh, reading signals in the environment, you know, and I think taking the time, especially organizational leaders, taking the time to prepare for emergency situations and developing contingency plans uh, for when things emerge is always a good policy. And it can, and it should, and I'm not just advocating for uh, that for um, a gun uh, violence situations. I mean, it should be all kinds of different weather emergencies, um, to uh, how are you gonna handle like uh, a personnel scandal, what are you going to do if there is an earthquake, you know, or a tornado that causes damage to the community or your uh, infrastructure and your staff? You know, um, crisis management often advocates, well, it does advocate for executive leaders, especially engaging in tabletop exercises to kind of think through what is our policy? If this happens, who's going to do what? Making sure that your uh, public information officers part of that and and able to communicate out to the staff and the general community what's going on and you know um taking advantage of trainings that like fema might offer to leaders about how to uh, address uh, emergencies um there's a lot of resources out there so i definitely think it's it's so, one of those things that people executives should be doing all right so i so i yes of course there you should be able you should Crisis management is important. I think what gets lost in the shovel is what crisis are you supposed to be managing, right? It can just become this noise of crisis management um, again. And so, I would like to I'd like to suggest that organizations definitely really do want to consider thinking about what what kind of what kind of crises they want to address and think they need to address. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, because every every organization is different. So yeah. you should. So maybe that. So you need to articulate. What are the kinds of crises that you think are one, a very real possibility that might affect you? And when I say very real, I mean like there's nothing that's preventing it from happening. Not that it's likely, but just there's nothing as opposed to the opposite um, where something would prevent it from happening. You live in Kansas City. There is probably a zero reason you should have ever a crisis scenario uh, uh, um, trial run uh, to, that in case you guys get uh, hit by a tsunami, it's not going to happen. Waste of money, time, people, and resources. Uh, I think we agree on that. So I think organizations have to definitely consider um, what the risks actually are, but also consider what the people that they work that work with them or work for them, what they think the risks actually, because that might be even more important important um if all of your people in kansas think that for whatever reason um a giant flood mm. is going to hit them uh then you might want to address that regardless because happy well, people you know 
I don't, I mean, I think there's rational, you know, uh, you know, uh, things that are really uh, clearly unlikely. Um, I think that, you know, there could be more time spent in discussing whether you want to allocate resources to that. But thing, I, I definitely think things that seem relatively, um, Prescient, probably. Prescient, so yeah, that, I think. You know that I think what we got for me. So, gun violence is a thing. It's been growing. It's a thing, and it's and when we say it's been growing, I I, I think the trend. There's we just we clearly have a, a gun violent issue in the United States of America, and it's it, and a, we love guns here. And one and there's a corollary thing that the amount of guns we have correlates to the amount of deaths we have. And I think there's growing evidence that removal um, of the guns definitely reduces the guns. I was looking at a statistic. Uh, England, the number of deaths, homicides uh, committed with a gun is 3%. You know what I thought when I read that? Like, how are they killing people in England? Like, with, with like, knives? I mean, I'm just like, what what is happening there, you know? So, Batons. but United, United <laughs> States was like 78 or 88%. It was, it, was a, it was a much, much, much larger number. It was like, that's all we use for the most part when we kill people. Um, it's a very real thing. So, so it's, it's, it's eminent. It's not eminent. It's, it's present. It's always there. And it's always, it's always in our faces. You're probably want to probably address this one way or another in your organizations, one way or another, right? You don't want to ignore it. You don't want to sweep it under. Why? Even if the risks are super low, it's in the media. It's being talked about. You're going to look callous. You're going to look foolish. I think if you don't address it, at the very least, hey. does he, organ, all organizations probably should address it in one form or another, so that they don't look like they're they're out of step with um, a series of tragedies that seem to haunt us forever and are continuing to, going to haunt us as we move forward until something else. Well, happens. I would say that it's 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 tantamount at this point to like CPR training, right? Like that, it's not just some, a training you're providing your staff again, for the workplace, because they could encounter a situation like this outside of the workplace too, you know, going to the local mall or um, at a shopping center. So by providing the training and the, and the you know, again, getting back to the, the sense-making part of this podcast, you know, and, and, and also connecting it to like the earthquake trainings and the tornado trainings at school, you know, those are there to, kind of program your cognitive schemas so that you're not in a, in an emergency situation. You're not having to spend a lot of mental energy thinking about what I should do. You already have the framework. Like if this happened, if this, if I hear this, uh, a tornado, uh, alarm go off. I, I know, I know I'm going to dive under my desk and curl up and cover my head. Right. Um, and if I hear like, what I perceive to be gunshots, I know I need to run, find the nearest exit and run away from that, those gunshots. And that's the best thing. I don't need, I won't be frozen trying to think about what to do. And that's why even on an airplane, you know, when you get up the, the, when you get on board, the, the, the flight attendants go through that process over and over again of teaching you, this is what you do in case of an emergency. So it's in there already. And it's about uh, analyzing your environment. But I want to get back, you know, the other thing that you brought up was the larger societal aspect to it, too, and where um, organizational leaders, how do they intersect with it? And I, you know, I think, again, that we, that's a whole topic for another podcast about, you know, 
advocating for policy. But I can say from, I think, the higher ed perspective, I think presidents of colleges should be speaking to legislators about gun policy because their institutions are actually impacted, disproportionately impacted, you know, education institutions. So, you know, I know, you know, when you're state funded, you are barred from certain types of legit advocacy, you know, as far as um, reaching out to, to lawmakers uh, about policy issues. But, you know, I definitely think this is one where, you know, educate leaders in education really should be thinking about how they can take a stronger stance on um, addressing this problem. Because, you know, it, there's the gun piece and the access to guns piece, but there's also, you know, mental health. There's also other societal factors that might be contributing to it. I think there's also almost like this kind of mimetic epidemic. It's kind of in our consciousness now. And so people know that this is an option for them to uh, express themselves or uh, vent their frustration with the world or achieve some level of notoriety. And, and also there's the media aspect. So there's all these different variables contributing to it. Um, and I, you know, in some of the policy stuff that you had sent me earlier today about this topic, you know, some of it gets back to more research. And I don't think that this topic has been researched thoroughly enough. It's not just about, you know, I'm personally all for, more gun regulation. So I want to make that uh, very clear. Uh, you know, I'm not into taking away all guns from everybody because I definitely think, you know, the second amendment protects people as far as having certain types of weapons, but you don't need like a semi-automatic weapon or anything like that. Um, in my opinion, there's no, there's no real reason for you to have that. And there, there's no reason that you at 18 years old, you should be able to go to a gun show and just purchase a weapon or order one through the mail or print one off on your, um, your digital copy or whatever it's called now. Uh, you know, I, you just don't, there's certain, there's certain things we can put into place to, to, um, tighten access to guns. And I think that's, you know, as long as they're sensible, uh, I think all that, should be thought about, but we also yeah. need to do more research. A lot of these organizations, the ones I always work with, the insurances now start to incorporate um, these mental health aspects to your insurance, being mm -hmm. able to have access to psychologists and stuff like that. I find them to be very um, inefficient and insufficient. Um, they seem to be checkbox level of, of structures in, in the, in the, in the healthcare industry. And if, the healthcare were to care more besides just trying to mend the physical, but also the actually really focus on the mental. Um, I think a lot could be solved there. And, and I don't want to, I'm not from a policy perspective, again, bring it to the organization. I want to, I think from an organizational perspective, if you put, if you made that paramount, your mental health of your employees, of the people that work for you, and you actually have systems set up so they have access to healthcare, access to be, to be able to talk to somebody about the incidences that we've just witnessed, about anything that can allow them to in, uh, understand uh, uh, what's happening. Um, and mental health is a continuation of processes, of doing things regularly, right? It's 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 it's, it's exercising um, your mind in certain in certain ways. 
Um, and so I think that's another thing. So in this world, in this way, you can actually protect yourself by having your employees be mentally stable, by helping them maintain a good mental framework. Yeah. And so um, you might, I think a lot would go away, it would help. So that's actually within the organization's capacities, right? They don't need to go outside in the world and lobby for more mental health in our government or in our healthcare which we all like, we probably all should as well as that. But internally, if organizations put a little extra effort in making sure that there's a mental stability of their, of their, of their employees, I think that could go a long way to making people just feel comfortable in the space. That they're in. Yeah. I, I, two responses to that. And, and first off, I totally agree with that. And I think, um, you know, again, coming from a higher ed perspective, uh, we know that the students coming in are to our colleges now are experiencing a lot more mental health issues than ever before. Right. And so we need to, um, you know, and I imagine that's going to translate into the workplace too, as far as depression, anxiety, and, th and just look at the world we live in. I mean, uh, I'm surprised I'm holding it together sometimes, right? It's, um, it's, it's really tough. We live in a very tough world right now where it's hard to hold everything together. Um, so there's no, you know, no judgment on that. I mean, it's just a, we live in crazy, crazy times. Um, so there's, so I think that gets back to training in the organization. Um, you know, and there's obviously training that you can provide to employees around. There's a mental health first aid training that people can go through and get certified. Doesn't make them counselors or psychologists, but it helps them work with other people so they can see signs of mental distress and know how to approach people about it and connect them to more expert resources and be kind of a bridge. I, I've gone through that training. I highly recommend it. Um, and then tying it back into the issue of gun violence and, and mass shootings, you know, and the planning aspect that the mental health part has to be part of the planning too, because the people impacted at an institution when they experience something as horrific as gun violence, um, they're, they're, they're going to suffer psychologically from it. And from a leadership point of view, and this is again, why you want to do those tabletop games is you want to address or tabletop exercises. You want to, you want to make, make sure in your, plan you have something to address the mental health aspects impacting your employees after an event happens because they're going to be suffering quite a bit and i know at umqua community college when that event happened in oregon most of the executives about a year later had left right because they couldn't handle the mental strain after what happened so um I think that's a real important part of the planning. So it's it's on two both sides. It's before anything happens, making sure that you're providing training to folks before something happens so they can spot things and help each other out. And then on the back end, if something tragically emerges, that you have stuff in place to be able to support the people who are impacted. Agreed. Well, all right. I, I think we are. We uh, solved the world's problems today, Jodo. Everyone will have to tune into the next episode to hear what problem we'll solve next. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yep. High five. Koosh. Yeah. Problem solved. Um, well, Dan, I think this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I can't wait for the next one. Um, yeah. All right. 
Well, I look forward to the next one, Joda, and everyone out there on podcast land. If you are on YouTube or another platform, make sure to like us, um, uh, subscribe, and do all those nifty things you do uh, on whatever platform uh, you are on to continue following us. Uh, and we'll, uh, we're going to aim to uh, post once a week with another uh, half-hour episode on sense-making and signal detection and organizational leadership uh, in our very complex uh, world that we live in.